Spread the fire fam. Welcome back to SMWX, the Siswe Mbofu Walsh experience. And on today's episode, I speak to Kojo Bafo about this excellent new book that he's published, Listen to Your Footsteps. We talk about the book, the process of writing this book, and the different themes that are covered in this book. Kojo Bafo is one of the most insightful and interesting authors with a book out at the moment. And it was a great honor to have him on SMWX. Like, share, subscribe, comment down below, and hope you enjoy. Let's get started. Spread the fire. Welcome back to SMWX. And today, as mentioned, I'm delighted to bring you Kojo Bafo, the author of this fantastic book, Listen to Your Footsteps. Kojo, thanks so much for joining us on SMWX. It's uh, it's always Thank good to have another. Me. It's always good to have a, a Liverpool fan on the channel. <laughs> well, there's still a, cu- a couple of us around there, you know. There's still a couple <laughs> of us out there in the world. Uh, indeed, indeed, and um, yeah, it's it's great to have you. You know, I feel uh, a certain connection to your book because. Um, Nadia Gotham, um, who tragically passed away recently, um, mm. after I, I tweeted um, about my book, which is coming up, said like, uh, soon thereafter, Kojo's book is coming out, Sizwe's book is coming out, and Khadija, Khadija Patel's book is coming out. And these were the three books yeah. she, was, um, she was excited about. Um, so really sad. And I wonder if you have any, any words of tribute to pay to Nadia um, before we kick off. I mean, look, that was that was that was painful. Um, that was that was hard because she was so supportive of people. Um, I mean, she was not my publisher. Um, you know, I interacted with her. And I interacted with her quite regularly, um, so you could see that kind of genuine, the genuine celebration of of people, and also understanding, you know, the inadequacies one has as an author. Um, I don't think I'm alone in that. Um, you know, the imposter syndrome you go through, the the feelings of inad- inadequacy that she kind of got. But at the same time, that she was just so vested in so many of our lives. Um, and, you know, it wasn't, we weren't, we weren't part of her day to day, but she felt really vested in it. Um, and so, I mean, I was... In the in the month, well, in the two weeks since the book has been out, she's constantly she constantly crosses my mind, um, just because we had conversations about it. Her and Doctor Cindy Fonsale, um, you know, Cindy, Cindy had always said, "When you do a book, you must come onto my show," you know. And I was just like, you know, Cindy, you're the one person I'll do it for. So yeah, um, yeah, it's, that's that's the. I mean, it's, it's hard to put into words. That's the tragedy of of kind of this thing called life right it is and uh and speaking of which um your book is is particularly timely because it touches on so many themes which are part of the human condition but this theme of of grief and loss um runs through the work in in so many different ways Mm. um, and how temporary human relationships are um take us through how that theme came through into your writing um, as you were making your way through this book? I guess it's weird in that it's, it's been... So 
probably the first decisive moment in my life um, was, strange to say, born out of death. Uh, mm. My mother died in a car accident when I was just over a year. Um, and it was her, my grandmother, so her mother, and an uncle of mine, my father's cousin. So, I mean, that's been, you know, that, that, shaped, that shaped a lot of who I am. And then having my father, you know, having my father, my father passed away when I was already, what, I think 45, 44, 45. Um, and having him as such a, such a strong influence over my life. Um, and also just partially writing this book because he never finished his. Mm. you know in a way so it did so i think for the you know he passed away end of 2016 so it's still it's still very very fresh although i i found that i've been able to deal with my grief so um fortunately you know that the grief or the loss of my father is not is not as overwhelming um, you know, I was able to very quickly recognize that he had lived a full and rich life. And he was at peace to a certain extent, you know, whatever, whatever that means. I mean, I'm not, not a religious person, but, you know, whatever that means for you, he was in some, you know, he had, he had achieved some element of peace in terms of the cycle that we go through, you know. Um, and so that's why it, I guess, in its own way, it, it lives in some instances, it's like an undertone with some, you know, some aspects of it. And then I also lost my closest friend. Um, and, and for example, that was harder. That was harder than, um, than my father. He was just turned 39 years old. I mean, he's younger than me, uh, just turned 39 years old. Um, you know, when you're doing the responsible things and we're looking at you know, your will or who's going to look after your kids. Like I had an insurance person ask me this and I'd, I'd never thought about it, but it's like, what, what if, because you always assume, I'm like, if something happens to me and my wife will look after my kids, right? They're her kids as well and vice versa. And he was like, look, what if something happens to both of you? And this friend of mine, Gerard, was that person because it's not just about somebody to look after your children financially. It's somebody who's going to, instill or reinforce the values that are important to you and the principles that are important to you and ensure that you know your children continue to get that um and so him literally passing i mean when they say it happened suddenly like we split up at we split up at three o'clock and i'm getting a phone call at eight o'clock hmm. um so that that, to be honest, was the harder journey, uh, which is mm. a journey I'm still going through. But yeah, I guess because 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 death was so prominent in my life from such a young age. Um, you mm. know, my whole teenage life, uh, my mother was an explanation as to why I was a different complexion from the rest of my family. Because mm. the rest of my mm. family, the rest of my family are all primarily West African dark, not just dark. But like West African duck, right? <laughs> and then I go, this is my brother. And people go, no, he's not. Mm. Especially in South Africa. It's like, you know, how is your brother? I'm like different mothers. 
And it's like, mm-hmm. oh, okay. So for a while, you know, for a while, my mother was just that. My mother was an explanation. Yeah, mm. So, yeah, it's been its, it's, been its own journey. It's, um, it's, it's an interesting book in terms of form, but also in terms of the themes. Um, and I constantly had this, you're looking at parenting from above and from below. So you're looking at, you know, what it's like to be a parent, but then you're also constantly going back to what it was like to, you know, be parented by your father. And there's this constant interplay of, parenting and being a being a child as it were um from various perspectives um was that something that you thought about in advance or did it just kind of flow out as you were as you were writing it so look as a starting point i wanted to write about i wanted to write about my father and i wanted to write about kind of being 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 parented because how I was parented and those experiences are what made me the person I am today. And, and my father was that example. So I wanted to talk about that. I wanted to talk about being a father. Mm. Um, because, and I guess it's, 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 that, it's, it's being that very weird place where sometimes I'm doing something or experiencing something, but I'm also watching it unfold. Um, and I tend to reflect on certain things quite a bit. I mean, especially, especially as a father and especially as a parent, uh, because, you know, it's a constant, I'll do something or say something and then recognize five minutes later that that was not the best idea. Mm. And then also just coming to terms with the fact that, but it's done, right? So, you know, you try to, I'm, I'm going to try to be better in the next five minutes. You know, but mm-hmm. circumstances have changed in the next five minutes. So maybe that better than I think it is. So, I mean, I think about a lot of, I, I, I think about all of this stuff quite a bit. So, I mean, those are two, mm-hmm. those are two key aspects. And, and in, in a weird way, so the first book I wanted to write was on fatherhood. When my the son was. The first of five. Uh, yeah. Yeah. The first of five. <laughs> the first of the five was, was on fatherhood. And I actually started that process. Um, and I was, I mean, I was in magazine then I just got too busy and Mm. I just did not have time to, uh, both time and just kind of headspace to sit and write the thing. Um, and so it was always important for me to be able to document that journey, especially as a man, um, especially as a man, especially in this country, um, especially on this continent. Um, I just felt that maybe I have something to offer that was born out of how I was raised because I wasn't raised in South Africa. So there's certain things that, you know, there's certain struggles that for me are, they're easier to make sense of mentally. Um, so I wanted to be able to share that perspective. So I always knew I wanted to write about father. I always felt that my father's story needed to be told. Um, so as a starting point, it was, you know, it was kind of those two things. And, and the fact that my father, I mean, my father was my dominant parent. And my father and I were, were close for, you know, all of, well, the times when we were both, you know, we were both conscious. Even the, even the stages when I was a teenager, like I worked for my father. 
like we were always together, you know. So um, I also wanted to be able to share some of the things that I've learned on the way. And I can't help but those be influenced by something my father said, something how he raised me, um, a perspective that he had shared that, you know, or something that he had taught me. So I, I think it was always a given, even in, my, even in the way I speak, and I used to have friends who always pointed it out, even the way I speak, uh, my father will come into the conversation. I mean, like growing up, it's like, I had friends in high school, they always complain. It's like, all the time, it's like, but he was that, you know, he was that influential and that instrumental in my life, which I'm grateful for. I mean, uh, you know, I'm grateful to have had somebody who's helped, you know, who helped mold me and helped me lay the foundation for what I can do. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting reading it. Um because I'm quite a lot, well, not, I won't give away your age, which is rough, which is revealed in the book, but certainly a little behind you. Um, I also was reading it from the perspective of like, there are various phases that I'm, inshallah, about to go into in my life, you know, if it's starting a family um, or, or just, you know, that phase that, that a lot of which you speak about. So, you know, as you were talking about, your father's footsteps and your your son listening to yours, they're also going to be a generation of readers who are now reading yours and, and you know, watching your footsteps and uh, mm. working their way through because there's no, there's no manual for this, for this stage in your life, like the 30 to 40 stage, like the manual like absolutely. just disappears. No, absolutely. I mean, I, I remember, so I remember... Um, you know, like in your 20s, and I was one of those, I knew what I was, at 16, I knew I was going to university, I knew what I was going to study, like I was working, mm -hmm. I was, you know, I was by no means like an overachiever, but there was, there was the discipline and there were boundaries, right? Mm -hmm. um, and then you kind of go through this whole thing where you've got to figure it out, right? Um, so this is what I'm going to do. And at this stage, by this stage, I'll be there. By that stage, I'll be there. Mm -hmm. And then I remember turning 28. I was, yeah, 28. And, and I find that, I mean, I, I can't speak for women, but I find like kind of as a man, it's like those, the 28, 29 years old, it's like the, the universe just throws everything up in the air. It's like, just confirm one last time. It, yeah. it may land the way, like it, it, you, you may sit back and go at the end of that, no, like this is what I want to do and I'm going to follow that same path. Mm. Um, I went from running my own IT company to working with a fashion designer to running. I mean, when I still had the IT company, I was doing poetry shows. And then I was like, actually, do you know what? I want to be a poet. This is what I'm going to do. Yeah? Mm. And this is from somebody who was always going to be a millionaire. Like, I was like, okay, when the year 2000 hits, I'll be this age. And we used to sit mm. in high school and talk about it. And I'm like, I had it all worked out, right? And then all of a sudden, at that age, year 2000 hits, and because life does what life does, you know, I'm like, actually, I want to be comfortable. I want to be content. You know, I want to do poetry, do some writing, and that sort of stuff. And that's where I was at 30. Mm. And, and, and I guess that's the, if we allow it, that's the beauty of the journey. Um, but it's also, yeah, I mean, it's also, it's also hard. I mean, I got married at 30, 
I'd been relatively set in my ways. Um, and then, and I talk about in the book, I mean, we struggled to have a child. My wife had a miscarriage and then we struggled to have a child. So when my son was born, we'd been married for five years. We had a rhythm, like we, you know, mm. like mm. we had a life that we'd built. And then all of a sudden at 35, you throw this, this thing into the mix. And it's like, oh <laughs> my God, like we have to figure out how to, how to handle yeah. this thing again. Um, but that's the beauty of it. Uh, like I, I'm glad, I'm glad that I've been able to reach the point where I can say, I haven't got it figured out, mm. but I've, I've also learned that I don't have to have it figured out. Um, mm. You know, it's just focusing on, you know, focusing on now, focusing on the moment, focusing on what's in front of me and keeping it moving. And hopefully, you know, as, as the, the cliche goes, um, a, what's it? A fool who learns from their mistakes. A wise, a wise person learns from the mistakes of others. Um, so hopefully, with this book, I can share some of my little stumbles, so that the next person doesn't have to go through it. Mm. Well, the title essay um, and the title of the book um, and the book all have the sense of self-observation like things are happening around me but i'm also watching them happening and as i'm watching i'm learning as i'm as i'm going like as i'm as i'm flying the plane i'm building it um and there's just so much in in this title like titles often like people don't think about them or whatever but this title is like 17 layers like when you read the book like Listen to your footsteps. Oh, listen to your footsteps. Oh, listen to your footsteps. Oh, listen to your footsteps. <laughs> and um, could could you take could you take us uh, through that like where the where the phrase comes from in the book, um, which which I also think is just a brilliant aphorism, and how that um, became the umbrella under which all this work falls. So there's I guess there's well there's a couple of dimensions to it so the one is i think it was steve jobs who said in essence we can only you can only connect the dots backwards right um so listen to your footsteps initially was going to be a title of a collection of poetry so i actually had i think i still have the folder somewhere you know sitting in the cloud and and a printout somewhere uh, but it all stems from, it all stems from, so I, I used to run the 100 meters. I, well, I mean, I, I did 100 and 200, but I specialized in 100. Uh, for me, there were very few greater feelings than standing at the top of the track and just looking down that lane. Like there's, you know, there's just something about it. That's for me what I wanted to do. Um, and, you know, my father's like, look, you can, you can do that. Um, but obviously education and, and, and that other dimension of who you are can't be left behind. But after high school, I went to Germany as an exchange student. And I kind of used the Rotary Club to reconnect with that side of my roots. And one of the first things I did when I got there was I registered at an athletics club. I mean, it was literally like my first week. And I had this old German coach. And he always used to tell us to listen to our footsteps. And because there's, this, there's a particular sound that your steps make depending on where you are in the race. So with 100 meters, when you're in the blocks and the gun goes, 
your body is, you know, your body is at an angle. So you're pumping your legs to stop, to stop from falling flat on your face. So you're pushing backwards. And because you're pushing backwards, your steps are closer to each other. Mm. Right? So the, the quicker, you know, the, the quicker your steps are, the quicker the sound of your steps, the more your legs are going to propel you forward. But then as you start to come up into your stride, obviously the steps, you know, start becoming further and further apart. And the whole idea with the 100 meters was you actually need to be accelerating from beginning to end. So because he, so he, he, he kind of instilled that in us. But then after I'd left and I went to university and I had, a, I had multiple ops and I had a problem with my leg, um, and I had drop foot. I mean, my foot used to hang like that. I needed a support. Mm-hmm. I used to walk with a, I mean, you know, you've all seen people like, so I used to wear a support to ensure that my Achilles didn't get stuck. <laughs> and so because of that, because of that training, it's, I used to hear my footsteps. And I continue to, like, I get, and I write about it, I get bad leg days. Like, I trip over my toes. I get days when I'm walking and I can, I can just, like, the sound of my footstep irritates me. Because the left side is nice and smooth, the right side slaps down, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and so I, I always liked that title. Like, I always liked that idea. But it was actually yeah. in writing the book. So in writing the book that I started to realize that, in essence, that's what it applies to everything. Like you're saying, there's just so many layers to it. It applies to mm-hmm. everything. And to a certain extent, that's what I've actually been doing with my life. Mm. You know, so, to a certain extent, unconsciously, even though you know, that phrase was there. And what was interesting was that was my working title. When I sent, when I sent the first kind of, when I was chatting to the publisher, and I was like, look, this is the book I'm thinking of writing. Here's about 10,000 words that I've written. Uh, what do you think? Uh, once we had agreed, they came back and they went, so that title, um, do you have another title? I was like, actually, I was thinking that's the title. They're like, no, 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 it's perfect. It's perfect. Don't change it. So, mm. yeah, I mm. mean, it's, what's, what's the word? Serendipity, I think. It's like when everything just kind of falls into falls into place and it makes sense. Uh, and so, like yeah. I said, in writing the book, that's when I started to realize how in my own way I've applied that to everything that I do. You know, how I raise my children. Like, you know, I'm constantly, I'm constantly looking at in this moment what's going on um, and, you know, what's the next step that I'm going to take. Uh, and I, and I, the, the idea that it's also about mindfulness came to me when I was writing it. So that was something that I'd never thought about. And I was writing it and I'm like, I try to be a lot more present. I mean, I've lived in the past quite a bit in my life. So I try to be more present. And I'm just like, actually, when you're listening to your footsteps, you can't not be present. So even that is its own, you know, its, its own thing, its own layer in there. So it felt to me like the book was an allegory for your life because you're telling the story of how you're listening to your footsteps and, you know, working your way through. But then the book, you also say, was kind of a listening to your footsteps moment because you wrote it and it kind of became what it was as you wrote as opposed to, um, you know, this thing that was there planned up front. And 
despite trying to write five books that way, the only book that actually materialized was the one where you listened to your footsteps when you were actually writing it as well. So, so that was an interesting um, parallel. I didn't think about that because, because I mean, literally what I did was, so I, I was like, okay, let me, let me try this essays thing and just kind of like show the equivalent of columns, which, you know, I've written columns extensively. So it's a, a little easier to do it or blog post, you know, it's a little easier to do that than now trying to, you know, trying to write a book where you're going, okay, this is where I'm starting. This is where I'm ending. And, and, and so what it did is it liberated me from the stress of kind of beginning, let's say beginning to end. And it was literally anytime something happened and it popped into my head, I'd go, oh, let me write about that. So I'd, you know, put it in my phone or write it in my notebook. And then I'd sit and literally open a new document. And then just start with that. And, and eventually what I did was I put everything in one document and then... Every time I got an idea, I'd literally just do a page break and add it to the bottom. So mm. I was worried less about, you know, I was worried less about that, that flow and that sequence, mm. Mm. Which, which took the pressure off me, particularly that first draft. It took the pressure off mm. to literally just get mm. stuff out. Uh, I mean, I'm one of those. I, like when I used to do poetry, I used to read a lot of poetry and I used to listen to a lot of poetry. Mm. Um, I, I know, so, I mean, I have poems I can tell you, okay, that's who I was listening to then. Like the influence comes in, in, in its own way, but like, I actually need that and I thrive off it. So I was mm. reading books on writing and I was reading collections of essays. Mm. Mm. Um, and that's, that's kind of primarily what I was reading, um, which helped me in that process. But it was, it was nice not to worry about flow and sequence and literally just kind of get the ideas down um, and so in its own way it was that it's an extension of that like the idea pops into my head I just add it to the end I write what I can about it and then I leave it you know and there's some stuff there's some stuff that was actually deleted like when I got to my my second draft where there was a start of my idea or there was a short essay but it just didn't it felt like it didn't fit like, I still like it and I'm still debating about, okay, do I maybe grab some of those, flesh them out and just plunk them on my blog um, mm. or, you know, or figure out what to do with them. But, you know, I've been, I guess I've been putting out stuff, what did they say, for free for so long that automatically it's just like, ah, let me just write it up, plunk it on my blog mm. and move mm. on, you know. Well, uh, Kojo Bafo, thanks so much for joining us on SMWX. Make sure that you pick up this brilliant book. Um, Listen to Your Footsteps is uh, an odyssey into um, Kojo's fascinating life. And um, there's also a podcast, so you can listen to the first episode of that podcast, which is kind of building off of this book where he speaks to people. Um, So make sure you pick it up. And Kojo, thanks so much for joining us. It was a real honor. Thank you very much for having me.